The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. One of the things with the pandemic is you forget like how long it's been since you've seen certain people. And it's like, dude, I haven't seen you in person in like almost four years. That makes me sad. That's horrible. The last time I saw you, I think it was at Iron Maiden when we played uh, with Maiden in LA. Oh, that was fun though. Yeah. Well, yeah, it was fun, but it's like time just went by like that, you know? I know, but that, that was a great show though. That was fun. That was very cool. I think the world has drastically changed, right? It's like um, the things we used to do and, and now it's getting back more to normal, but we had like a four year lapse there where absolutely sounds crazy, but we didn't see a lot of each other, of, of anyone. Well, yeah. And, and, and that's the thing too. I mean, obviously there's so much to discuss with, with you and with the new record and all that other stuff too. But dude, like post seeing you, you guys were supposed to go out on the big tour and you hurt your throat. Yeah. Um, and I, I know at one point you wanted to, to talk about that here and that was before the new record. I mean, there's so much to discuss, but let's talk about that. Like there was a point in time where you were told that you might never be able to sing again. Yeah. So, you know, I went into it a very, like the very light version of it on Eddie trunk recently where I kind of gave the overview, but yeah, I mean, basically I went through a lot of vocal attrition damage and I couldn't really pinpoint why or when it had to just be like something that gathered steam over time. I know that the Metallica tour was extremely hard to get through, even though they were shorter sets. It was, a, it was like full octane on 10, every song we played, no ballads, you know, like sort of that, you know, you've got one hour to go out there and do what you can. And um, I think that took a huge toll on my voice. And I think what started happening now that I'm like, now that I'm like really working through what the problems were and what the deficiencies are and like where the bad habits were coming in, I think what started happening is I started singing from a lighter spot, like a more head voicey place and not keeping the, the bottom, which is the foundation, right? You got to have that foundation. And eventually you start like singing for people that don't really understand vocal cords, a, a more frontal place, like something more in the front, more out of the mouth. Nasally. Nasally, but just kind of like when you really want to have the depth and have it in, on your cord, not too far either way. But, th that's but you, singing, want, you, right? want, you want to sing from, from your stomach and sing from your diaphragm up. Yes. Right. And I think I started singing from the top down. Wow. To make sure I could sing 
all the high notes in like something like the stage, which is like starts on F sharp and just goes up into like B, B flat, C the whole time. Right. And so you're sitting there going, okay, we're starting with this song. I don't really have time to let the voice kind of settle no matter what you're doing in the back. It's, it's tough and every night going for it. So to make a long story kind of a little shorter, I think I started having this sort of singing from the front out of the mouth a little more to get through the shows. And I think what happened was the chords pretty much stopped working in the F sharp bridge area, right? Like the F, F sharp G, where you really need to connect the lower voice and the, and the upper voice. And, and if you don't have that, you're, you're done. And so that got to a point to where we went on tour in Europe and the chord was not vibrating at all. Like I would go up to that note and it would just stop. And then I could start singing again, like four notes higher and I can go up, but there was nothing that was going to connect it, which started really, really bad habits. Right. So now I'm jumping around. I'm almost like playing hopscotch with the voice. Like I'm going to skip the middle. <laughs> I'm going to sing the low and the high. And so I had no chance. So I get out of that tour and then I, I get like this viral infection on the cords. I go to look at the cords and there's this huge polyp on there, but it's not like a vocal polyp. It's more like a blood blister. So they say, you know, be quiet for a while and let that go down. So I do that. And then I'm like, okay, well, if I take off long enough, I'm just going to be able to go back and sing again. Right? Like just let it settle. So I wait, I wait for like three, four months. Nothing feels great. I go back to sing and it's the exact same problem, which for a singer is just like, heart attack, right? Like, are you kidding me? Like what? I can't do it. So then I go down the path of working through it with my vocal coach at the time, people saying, oh, it's just tension there. It's this and that. And I'm like, man, I'm just telling you, this feels different than ever before. I don't know what it is. I can't, I can't push my way through it. I can't soften my way through it. I can't make the cord work there. So finally I go um, to Dr. Burke at UCLA and he just says, hey, your vocal cord, your vocal folds aren't vibrating. Like they just aren't vibrating there. It's just stiffen up to the point to where you have overworked it so much that now it's like a big scab. I'm like, well, is it a scar? And he's like, well, it's not a scar, but it's a scab. Like it's like working out a lot, you know, and you have like toughness to the core. A callus. Like a callus, but like it's not something you can just take off and you can't do surgery on it. There's nothing to do surgery on. It's just the cord is tough. So what I did was I worked another eight months trying to soften it. That didn't work. And so then it was like, okay, now we need to go like find someone else, right? Like, like there's no answers here. So the first thing I did was I, I flew out to Chicago to see who's considered like the number two doctor in the country. Yeah. Number one doctor is a doctor's I call up in Boston and he's, um, tough to get in with. He works with a lot of cancer patients. His, his MO isn't like fixed singers, even though he does, right? Like his MO is like, I want to get people that can't walk because of surgeries or because of cancer and get them new vocal folds, whatever. And so I go to this Dr. Bastion in, in Chicago and he goes, you know what? There's nothing to vibrate left on your vocal folds. Oh my gosh. There's nothing there to work with. Right. And he's like, so my suggestion is either you live with this or we do like a, an exploratory surgery where we take the back of the vocal fold that doesn't get touched, cut the front, move the back to the front, and then you have to learn how to sing on that. Oh my God. And he's, I'm like, well, what are the chances of that working? And he's like, not good. He's like, but you don't really have many options. Before you continue, Matt, what are you thinking right now? Because let me just say this. Obviously, 
we've played shows together before and been around each other a lot. And you are very cognizant about your voice. You warm up before, yeah. you warm up afterwards. You're the, you're the type of guy that like at the show would be like, I can't talk. I got to sing later. Like, you, like you're that guy. Yeah. I'm not that guy. I'm singing tonight and I'm fucking talking and I'm like, ah. I know you're crazy. I know. <laughs> so what are you thinking when they're telling you, you might never sing again or sing like M shadows again. How are you feeling right there at this point in time with this doctor in Chicago says that to you? I probably, maybe it was like a, a defense mechanism, but I just stayed calm and just kind of like, okay, I'm going to work through this. Nothing anyone ever told me made me think time to give it up. Right. Yeah. Cause then I was thinking, okay, I just need more time than I thought. <laughs> like, you know, like I'm like, I'm going to keep hammering this thing every day and, and hammering not, is not the right term when you're talking about softening something up, but I'm going to keep going like, Oh, and I'm going to bring it higher and higher until I can work that thing into this. In my mind, it's like, okay, like I don't, I don't give up. And like, I, I could also say that even if I was secretly doing it or if I told everyone, okay, band's done for now, blah, I would still secretly be in the shower every night trying to get this thing going. Right. <laughs> yeah. You can't teach that. It's just who I am. You know, like what else am I going to do? That's right. Like, am, am I going to just say, okay, well time to pack it in, go for my, uh, senior golf tour dreams, <laughs> you know, like, so I'm just sitting there taking it in going, okay, okay. Um, I'm, I'm listening. I'm getting more, inf but I am gathering more information at that point. Right. Like, okay, this is what's going on. We decided we were going to go beg Dr. Zytels to see us like, Hey, listen, we got to come in. He books me out like for a month later says, okay, I'll see Matt. Cause he had done my previous surgery in 2003 with waking the fallen. Like, you know, when I had a blood vessels, so I fly out there and he literally like looks at me for like two seconds. I get in there and I'm like, all right, where's the problem? I go, oh, he cracks, you know? And he's like, okay. Um, yeah. Singing is way less about the anatomy that's going on or the autonomy that's going on. He's like, it's much more in your mind. He's like, so what we're going to do is we're going to go in there and we're going to clean up the cords because there's blood vessels in there and stuff. We're going to clean them up and we're going to get a bunch of saline. We're going to pump it through here. And we're just going to make them work a little bit, right? We're just going to get them as big as we can without hurting them. And then like stink them down and throw more saline into them and just pump them up and just see if we can kind of stretch out some of this stiffness. So like, what else do I have to lose, right? This is the best guy in the world. So I, I go in, I do that surgery and I come out and I notice I have the same problem as before, but I notice I have a little more wiggle room, right? I'm like, okay, like, it almost feels like you're singing, but like in mud. And so like, I start like really just kind of sitting in the note, noticing now that I'm singing more on front because I can't get back there. And now slowly inching it back further and further to that weightiness that I kind of really needed. And so after about a year of vocal training after the surgery, I felt like I was really ready to go. You know, I hit him up on a text message and I'm like, dude, his ability to kind of not take it too seriously, not like this is you're done or you're this or that, just kind of like, yeah, just mentally you need to be, you're fine. We're going to get you the tools and you're going to be able to figure it out. You're going to be able to work it out. Let me just go in there and like touch it up a little bit and see what we can do. And this is a surgery and I, I would rather not, you know, name names because it's not fair to those people, but this is a surgery he does on many, many, many rock singers. They go in there and they, and they need this sort of like, Hey, let's stretch it out a little bit and get it going again. So um, I felt confident with him. Yeah. After the surgery was done, to be honest, the hardest thing was all the bad habits I had gotten 
before the surgery, trying to work around the problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. Realizing I needed to just like dig in to where the problem was and now trust it and put my weight on it. And it was going to be okay. Right. It's probably like when someone tears their Achilles or mm. they're, you know, and they're trying to like, not, they're trying to favor that leg. Right. Or they're trying to not, and it makes it worse. So it was crazy. I'm grateful for him and grateful for the work ethic I was born with, like my parents, my genetics, whatever it is that was going to let me go and do this and my family for sitting there and listening to me sing four to five hours a day. But it was super scary in some senses. It was kind of freeing in other senses that you you didn't need to define yourself by your voice. It can go at any time. Mm-hmm. It was also a crazy learning experience. I feel like I can listen to anybody's voice right now and tell them what's going on. <laughs> you know, like, I had to go through so many things to, to get to this point now, which I feel like I feel like I'm a better person for it. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. You know, it's crazy because I I had a a bruised larynx. I got clotheslined in the throat first time in, in 30 years or whatever. And I went through almost the same thing that you did into where I couldn't sing at all. And it almost felt like a Disney movie when the evil witch takes away the songbird's throat. And it was just, I, I had nothing. I remember the first person I went to see, because I was doing Masked Singer at the time, and I was able to do one more song. It was like a lower level, uh, run Rudolph run, like a motorhead version. So that was fine, but I had no high range whatsoever. Like my Axl Rose, Paul Stanley, gone. And the, so I started going to the doctors and the, and the laryngologist was saying like, it just takes time. It's you break your arm, it's four to six weeks. You bruise your larynx, it could be six months, it could be a year. Here's some things you can start doing. And then another thing is I went to a, a speech pathologist and she took some scans of my vocal cords. Now, what people don't know, I literally thought vocal cords were like cords, like guitar strings or something. What you don't know is it looks like, kind of looks like a vagina, but it looks like a really weird alien, giant, creepy thing. But you could see my one vocal cord was brown like a bruised banana and it wasn't vibrating is what you were just talking about. So slowly over time, it started to come back. Right now, I'm probably about 95%. It's finally starting to get there. But it's a scary, scary feeling, man. You know, what do you do? There's nothing you can do. You go in there and it's... I mean, if you actually look at the, um, what the vocal fold feels like, it's like, a, um, it's almost like a jellyfish membrane matter. Mm. It's like a, it's almost like snot. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. When you look at it going and, and like, as we, we Dr. Zytel's, I was able to break it down and really look at what was going on with all the tools they have. And he's like, it really is like a jellyfish. Like it's like, you would think it would dissipate, but it's so fragile. Mm-hmm. Right. And if you get any stiffness, then you're completely screwed. Yeah. Yeah. Every bit of feel that you have is based off of this thing working correctly, you know? And, and when it doesn't work correctly, you're just, you start trying to compensate and you start trying to jump around and doing other things. And it becomes very uh, stressful. 
right? Big time. And, and what I learned too is like, you don't have to sing every part of every song. Like we have four guys in the band that sing and it's like Def Leppard does that all the time. Like it's okay to lay out with like PJ, our bass player has got a great high range. If there's a couple notes that are still a little bit too high, you don't have to sing every note because there's other guys that can do that, you know? I'm going to actually, you know, settle into that a little more than I ever have. I always felt like, oh, I've got to sing every word on Afterlife. And it's like, it's like back to back to back to back. And it's like, those are the moments that throw you out because yeah, you might be balanced and everything's good, but eventually it's going to wear you down. There's a couple moments where, yeah, just have them sing one line or have the audience sing it for one line and then get back. And, and those little breaks, and you know this, and I know this from being on stage, those little breaks for one sentence, just the whole voice opens up again, right? Absolutely. Yeah, but if you keep it going, it just starts, it's like, oh my, I'm falling off the edge here. And then all of a sudden you're, you're pushing and your larynx comes up and you're, you know, you do something out of sorts and all of a sudden you're like, uh-oh, there it goes. Yeah, you can't do that. It's so funny talking to you about this because this is literally the exact same thing. Exact same thing. I can think of parts in the songs that we're playing right now where for the first time ever I take a line out yep. or do the crowd sing it. You know, it's okay. <laughs> you got <It's>, this, everyone. <laughs> it's okay. Was there any notes like when uh, mentally when you first came back in? Because like you mentioned, the doctor said that singing is very mental. And there's some notes I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm going to hit this one. I'm scared. I'm scared. That, and that puts some doubt in your head. Yeah. So because of my injury was in the middle of the range, it's very interesting because if you don't hit it full on, then you're already, you've already lost up to F F sharp. That's mostly chest voice. It has to be firm, right? It has to be very solid, but you have to be able to take that bridge through the G and up. And then you can, you got to always have that anchor in there. So there was never a problem with high range. High range never went away for me. Now I just have more of an anchor in the high range. I can, I can go up, but it's like, I just needed that it's so weird having an injury in the middle of your, I mean, it's obvious that you would get one there because it's where you're hammering it all the time. It's where the bridge happens, right? Where that kind of transition into the high and lows, but it is weird explaining it to people. They're like, well, why can you sing sweet child of mine up there, but you can't sing the low part or you can't sing happy birthday. Why can't you sing happy birthday? And it's like, well, happy birthday is a hard song because <laughs> you, you got it. Like you kind of barely go in there for a second, but that's where the injury is at. And so then all of a sudden you have a disconnected, really awful sort of mental gymnastics you're trying to jump through to kind of um, piece it together. And you don't want that, right? I'd almost rather have work. I, I think it's interesting. Whenever you're injured, you're always like, I'd rather have anything injured other than this. You know? <laughs> but so who knows? But yeah, no, it's a weird spot to have a, a problem because you go out to dinner or you see like your family and they can sing notes that you have no chance on. And you're like, they're not singers. <laughs> but just the normal voice can, can sing those things that I was injured on for so long. And that was really, that was more of like a mental toll than anything. Just looking at people that don't sing, be able to sing notes that I can't sing right now. And you're the professional singer, right? Yeah. 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 I yeah. remember you told me too, at some point in time, you, you couldn't even speak. You had to speak in the same tone. Like, hello, my name is Matt. How are you? Or something like that. Is that, tell me about that a bit. Yeah. So I think, I think one thing that I learned from all this is a lot of the information I had. Now, if I had to do it all over, I would have done it a lot differently. I was speaking softly and I was speaking a little higher. And now that I, now that I understand how the vocal folds work a lot more, as you can hear now, I'm like, I'm letting, I'm putting air, I'm using my diaphragm to speak, right? I'm letting the voice like sit back and sink. And I'm letting the voice naturally sit somewhere where I'm not like, man, I'm just trying to save my voice right now. And it, 
when you do that, it actually, it actually is more damaging Mm. to the cord because you know what that was doing? That was, that was promoting the frontal sort of lighter thing that was getting me in trouble in the first place. Right. You think if you go out there and you're like, okay, I got to get through this set. So I'm going to, in the crowd, the scene of the stage, and then you know, you're no, that's actually going to be worse. Wow, because it's promoting this sort of no anchor, no weight, no sort of you gotta like have the voice to sit in the spot. And so, if I was to do it all over, I wouldn't have gone on a really a voice rest for more than a couple weeks, and then I would have started talking and using the breath properly and letting the voice sink back to where it's natural. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. There's lots of cool stuff to talk about. One of them is, is obviously the new record, Life is But a Dream. And you sing great on it. I noticed uh, the first time I heard nothing, I heard, I heard a little bit of a different, slight twinge that you can tell you've been to Warren back. But I mean, first of all, the record is, is a masterpiece in my opinion. It's completely wacky and insane in the best possible way. Let's talk about making this record not only are you coming back from a vocal injury, it's also in the middle of a pandemic. It's also been, you know, you guys are a multi-million dollar band that got shut down because of your injuries and because of the lockdown. Talk about all that and how you were able to kind of create such a masterpiece and why you came at it in such a different way this time. Even though I was injured, we 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 were always under the assumption, we didn't know how serious it was, right? So we were under this, the assumption when we started writing that we're going to be able to just kind of do this in a normal time frame, you know, a normal vocal injury would last a couple months max, you know, even with a surgery. <laughs> and this this lasted a couple of years, right? So we started writing and we got really far. Um, so there's four elements here. We got very far writing it. And then in the middle of all that, I think I talked to you about this, me and Brian did this sort of deep dive into psychedelics. And it wasn't necessarily about music. It was more about life and about purpose or sort of philosophy of what exploring, right? Let's call it exploration. And when we came out of that experience, we wanted to go bolder and more dynamic and more off the grid. One thing we agreed was that life is short. And if we're going to make music, we want it to be bold. We want it to be in the name of art. We don't want it to be some thing where we're worried about stats or we're worried about building. We just saw it all as let's make something that truly makes us laugh, that makes us happy that we feel is going to put something into this world that's left turns and something that's like remarkable in a way that's just different and and gives people a feeling whether it's you know uncomfortable or or happy like just a feeling right just something Mm -hmm. so then we had that so then we kept writing and then we got when we when we were finally ready to go in the studio and we felt like we can we can pull this off we love everything we started trying to record and then Black Lives Matter and COVID happened, right? And if you remember, they were kind of on the same time, right? Yeah. So it was like there was lockdowns, but then there was a bunch of discussion about, well, why are people allowed to go protest? But what was happening in LA, you know, we there's not many drum rooms left. And one of the main things we wanted to do is make sure we use multiple drum kits on songs to make sure our, our philosophy, which is, you know, we record real stuff and we're not 
sampling anything. And mm-hmm. we want to make sure that we get what we want. So using Henson Studios in LA, we finally get in there. And then it's like, well, you can't get in. There's protests throughout the street. So we push it two weeks. Then we come in and they're like, well, there's more rules now. You can't have the producer in there with the band, more than two people. And you got to have the mask on. And if you're going to say, so it became this thing where it just got longer and longer and longer. So finally we get out of Henson. It's been like three, four months when really we booked like a month worth of time. Mm-hmm. Then we get out of there and we we start trying to travel and just, it basically took another six months of recording and then we just shut it down. Matt's not ready vocally. We can't do the strings. We can't do X, Y, and Z. So we shut it down for another year and mm-hmm. we just sat on the record, the drums being recorded with a couple tracks. So then when we picked it back up and we knew we could, you know, the vocals were going to be fine and we were going to be able to do everything. You know, we had other problems with like getting Sony Studios to let us have 78 people for an orchestra and they all had to sit apart. <laughs> and we're like, we can't do that because the intonation's out. So we had three groups of people of 78 people that had to get tested the day of. And if someone got COVID, <laughs> then they get replaced. That. So again, not to bore people with the details, but it just got crazy. Yeah. So we finally get back in the studio to finish it up. And we didn't realize we probably had another eight months worth of work. <laughs> now we had been living with it. And we wanted to change things, right? We had things we wanted to kind of like make cooler and do different things. So then add on top of that, we wanted to use Andy Wallace. We go out to the East Coast. He works two weeks at a time. He's going on vacations in between. And and at that point, because of the the self-reflection and the stuff we were doing earlier, we were just totally cool with it. We were like, okay, we're not going to get worried about all these things that we used to probably would have gone crazy about. Like we would have probably lost our minds if we couldn't <laughs> get this out quicker. But now we're in a place where we were just like, let's make sure it's done right. Make sure everybody's happy that's working on it. Let's get it done correctly over now, now, now. And because we weren't really a ru- in a rush, it had already been six years, what's seven years or whatever it is, you know, five years, what's six, you know? So, <laughs> so we were in that kind of um, mindset and then we got the record done and we still waited a year to put it out. Because we wanted to make sure the music video was right. We wanted to make sure production was right. We wanted to make sure we can go on tour. We wanted to make so it just took a long time, but really I think it it came from a much healthier mindset of what's important and just getting it done on our time schedule. We had the same thing with our boombox record where it was done in the can for a year before we released it because it's like we want to be able to promote it. We want to go on tour. You want to go to the radio station. And it just wasn't time. Cause there's like, you know, like ACDC releases power up in the middle of a pandemic. They still haven't toured on it, but that's ACDC. But other bands were putting out these records that just came and went. Cause you couldn't do anything with them. It was almost a waste of, of time. Yeah. You know, we were, we were watching that too. And we were getting a lot of heat from some of our fans too. Like this band's put out two things and they're there for us when you guys aren't. And it's like, man, we got to be there for ourselves first. Yeah. We're not healthy. We're not right right? Like we were mentally very healthy, but you're talking about a voice. You're talking about getting the record done. And I think, you know, listen, at the end of the day, people are going to hear this record and it sounds like a band. You can tell that the, the strings and all the extra stuff we put in is all real. Mm-hmm. And I think that if we phoned that in and just programmed it or just said, ah, well, whatever, like we can't use Henson. So let's just have Brooks play in Joe's studio and then we'll replace the drums with whatever tone we want. Like, I, I just think, I think you would just hear that and feel it and it would just wouldn't be the same thing. And I think when you look back on time in a larger scale, you want to put out pieces of art, like your music, that the, how often do we all put out records? It's not that often. Right. And you're not going to put out many in your lifetime. Like make sure what you put out is right. 
you know, when you veer on that side, you, you still are going to take crap from the other side, but they should be happy that there's people that take it seriously. In my opinion, a record lasts forever. Yes. You want to make it right. Let's talk about, um, and then obviously there's a theme to the record. I'm not going to say it's a concept album. It's funny because the stage dealt a lot with AI, which we can discuss in a bit. This is more about absurdism. And when you told me about this, I actually Googled absurdism and Googled the philosopher that you build a lot of these uh, lyrics around and, and learned something. It reminded me of listening to Iron Maiden in high school where I'm learning things by listening to Avenged Sevenfold. So yeah. talk about the whole theme of the record. Yeah, well, the theme, because of that sort of um, existential crisis I went through for six to eight months, which was really hard. And what, what triggered that was this sort of psychedelic experience right and i think we talked about it a little bit the night of iron maiden we talked about it so we did sometimes you see things that you can't unsee and they're so apparent to you but they completely rattle your foundation to the core and for me someone that's a type a personality ego plays a large role in why we've had success but then it makes but then you question well what is success and what is what is the top of the mountain and then why is there always another top of the mountain? <laughs> and are those people that are always chasing happy? What I saw was that it was, it was never ending. And your ego, who you call Matt, your ego is actually hurting you, not by the metrics that society likes to put up, but by the metrics of happiness, being present with your family, being a good dad. All these things that you think are important are not important. These other things are important. When you come back from an experience like that and your ego gets put back on like a, a shell, right? Mm -hmm. There's a spiral that you can go down and there's a toggling of light and dark and right and wrong and meaninglessness and purpose. Everyone has to go down their own path and their own journey. But what I found was that there was no inherent purpose other than a purpose that you would assign yourself. To me, I found that very freeing. I found that as like, oh my God, there's no rule book. I want to be a good person to my kids and my friends and my family. And I want to put out really fun art. And there's realities of the world that will try to bash you down. But I want to ignore what the outside says is success or failure and just base it off of my own heart and what I feel is correct. So by assigning your own purpose, it would ultimately mean that there's no overarching purpose to this whole thing, right? Like everyone that knows me knows I'm an atheist. I don't believe in a higher thing. I don't, but I do believe that if you give somebody a rule book and they have to live by it, you might hate yourself for certain things that you shouldn't hate yourself about. Or there might be certain things that you can't live up to certain expectations, but they are all put there by someone else anyways. Mm -hmm. And so when I looked at the world like that, I became very obsessed with this literature of like Albert Camus and this absurdism and this sort of existentialism but I didn't take it in a negative way. I took it in an extremely enlightening, positive way where if there is no rules and you write your own rules, then that's the most freeing thing anyone can tell you. I can judge myself based on my own sort of set of morals or my own set of you know, judgments on what's right and wrong. I think sometimes what people get really scared of with that sort of thought is like, well, what if someone just wants to go kill a bunch of people? Or someone wants to go be a bad person, right? Mm -hmm. I don't believe the humans innately are that. I believe humans want to be good. They want to have camaraderie with each other. We love our tribes. We love, we love our families. And a lot of times, these misunderstandings come from lack of empathy or lack of putting ourselves in other people's shoes. 
And I think with traveling the world, I've seen that things that I used to think about other people when now that I've traveled and been around them, I know that that's not true, that people just want nice things in life. They want to be treated with respect. They want, they love, they want to, they want to raise their families and like a lot of things that you would see on the news or hear from family members that just aren't necessarily true about the rest of the world. Right. And so for me, this sort of aha moment was something that I wanted to write about, but also something that I feel gets people get stuck in. And it's very uncomfortable to talk about because it shatters sometimes these purposes that people have been given, whether it could be a religion or it could be parents that want you to live up to certain standards or, you know, telling you your job that tells you you have to do X, Y, and Z, or you're a failure, or you're not good at this, or you don't have this inside you. And I feel like when you bring up those sorts of um, topics and you speak about them truthfully, they create sort of an uncomfortable underbelly. And this record has that little bit of an uncomfortable, I'm free floating and I don't really have a place to go. So anyways, that's a long you know, version of what, what, what this record is about in a way. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Let me ask you some of the tracks. Like I said, the reason why I think it is a masterpiece of yours is it's hard to believe that this is the same band that did uh, Hail to the King but yet it is the same band that did Hail to the King. You can totally hear that too. But these arrangements, the tempo changes, just the stylings of music. I mean, it really does go to a lot of places that you've never gone to before. And we spoke about this too. The great bands do that. That's why the Beatles are one of the best and Zeppelin and U2 and even Guns N' Roses when they started getting to the Use Your Illusion phase. There's a lot of stuff on here that I think is going to throw your longtime fans off, but in a, in a good way. You obviously had no worries about boundaries of even styles of music that you put on Life is But a Dream. It's the last thing on our mind, what people are going to think of it. I'm a firm believer that if if you put something out or you create something, whether it's a movie or a piece of art, and you can 100% get behind it and be emotionally attached to it, that there will be other humans out there that are going to feel the same thing. Now, with the world we live in, the way bands go, right? Fans of Avenged Sevenfold that have been following us are going to be the first ones to hear this. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't necessarily mean that that's going to be the record that they want to hear. But I do think that there's people out there that maybe don't like Avenged Sevenfold that'll hear this and go, oh, I like that, right? I, I, I get that. Now, you just have to be strong enough to weather that storm while it happens, right? Because mm-hmm. the first people that are going to hear this are people that are waiting for <laughs> another version of whatever you did before, right? <laughs> right, right, right? And you have to take the long view on things when it comes to that sort of thing. Now, when we're making the music, it's not even a thought in our mind. Now that it's done, you know, we're going to be talking about this. Like, yeah, this is going to come out and a bunch of people that liked X, Y, and Z are going to go, what the hell are you giving me? I think it's fun though, but I always go by the philosophy. I think it was Steve Jobs that the audience or the customer, and, and I'm, I wouldn't call our audience a customer, but I would call it's, you know, relating to this point. They don't know what they want until you give it to them. Mm-hmm. If everyone just sat in the mud and never pushed genres forward or pushed technology forward or pushed things forward, 
you know, first of all, we wouldn't even have a cell phone, but we would have a flip phone, right? And then the iPhone comes out and then they change the buttons and we all get mad because we don't like how they change this. <laughs> and, that. and then we all get used to it. We can't believe we used to do it the other way. Right, right, right. Um, and I think with music, you got to keep pushing people or you become this nostalgia act and you get really stuck because then it's like, now it's like a total job. You don't have room to be an artist anymore because we want you to play these songs and this is what you are and, and this is and we're not going to support you if it's not this and this and mm-hmm. and I just want to reject that as strongly as we can every step of the way. We know that there may be upset fans or there may be lower ticket sales or you're going to sell less records or you're not but that to us is like you can't worry about that stuff as an artist. If you worry about that stuff then then you might as well just go into the label say give me the information, give me the algorithm and we're going to keep writing songs just based on whatever. <laughs> Where's the ambulance? Let us chase it. You know, like, and I just think that you can't, you can't be an artist and do that. I, I think this is going to be the opposite though. I think this is going to make, make Avenged Sevenfold even bigger because it is completely opposite. Uh, not, it's not, let me rephrase that. It is not completely opposite. I mean, it starts out with, you know, Game Over is just a thrash song that comes right out of the gate and Mattel right after it. I think We Love You is probably my favorite because it's just like this, dirge that just goes into your head more 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 yeah yeah it, it's it's not called more it's called we love you yeah yeah, yeah. but i mean yeah. but what i'm talking about is there's stuff on here like for example the title track life is but a dream is a a four and a half minute piano piece yeah. but i kept waiting okay the intro is going to end the song is going to begin it's just nope that's it that was your first question you're like so uh, why'd you do that? <laughs> <laughs> I was curious though, in, I don't know. In, 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 a, in an artistic way, why, and I'll ask you now, why did you do that? Because of the existential sort of dread that this record kind of brings up and this sort of, um, it starts off, and it sounds so flippant when I say it, but it, it starts off with a guy living a mundane life and then he ends up killing himself right off the bat and game over. It's more of a play on free will. You know, if you'll notice, I say, I never had the will anyways. And it goes into genetics and it goes into this guy just doesn't know how to get out of the rut, but he doesn't even have the ability to get out of the rut because of just the cards he was dealt and he ends up killing himself. And then you go down this whole record of these sort of different phases of life. And at all of these points, you kind of, and you, you and I both know, or we're middle-aged guys at this point, one day you wake up and you just blink and you look back on your whole life and go, where the hell did it go? Mm-hmm. And can you really pinpoint any moment? Did you live in the moment in any of these things? You know, did you, did you get everything out of every moment that you could? Even if you did, it's hard to sit there in the moment now and be satisfied with everything, right? Because time moves in such a weird way. And I feel that, you know, if, if we live long enough to get to our 80s or our 90s and we get some sort of terminal disease, we'll be the same people in those eyes now afraid of, the, of death that's just waiting for us, which we know is waiting for us, right? The kind of torture of being a human is knowing that we're going to die when most everything else doesn't know, right? Animals don't know. They don't, they, they just live their life and then something happens. Mm-hmm. So the record takes you through this sort of really deep and uncomfortable situation. And at the end and on death, another thing like that happens. This kid just puts his pillow away, you know, puts his, washes his face, puts his stuff away. Then he goes and he, and to feel free, he jumps off a building. And to me, the most epic way to end a dream was to have this piano piece playing out, which was done in this sort of like classical sort of way, which is just like, we don't need any embellishments. We don't need anything else. We just want to hear the foot on the piano and a couple noises coming from the creaking of the thing and just a bare piano, end of life sort of, Hmm. this is taking you out. 
And we all felt that that was a really impactful way to say something more as a whole than to try to have another song at the end. It's great. And, and didn't you say that, that Brian, that Gates took like years to learn how to play this piece? Yeah. So we originally wrote it on MIDI and we loved it. And I thought, you know, I, I lived with it for a couple of years and I said, we got to put this on the record. It's incredible. You know, he actually wrote it for my son when he was born river. Mm. When I convinced everyone that it should be on the record and kind of explained what I thought the over arc should be, you know, we were like going to hire somebody to play it. And, and again, going back to the beginning of this conversation, we had so many times where there was a years in between this record getting done that at some point during COVID Joe breezy went to Brian and said, well, Hey, what if you learn how to play this? And at first it was like, there's no freaking way, right? I actually thought there's no way. <laughs> and um, Brian took it on and he he basically spent a couple hours every morning when he'd wake up with a coffee and just started learning part by part by part. And by the time we got to the end, he was able to knock it out himself. What a feat. Incredible. You you must be proud of him. We were listening to the album on the bus last night on the Fozzie bus, and we were agreeing that Gates is probably the best guitar player of his generation. There's a couple other guys here and there, but his playing on this record is so great. It's next level even for him. I agree. And I think unless you live with the guy and know him, you know him. For him, it's he's like LeBron James in the way that he doesn't need to score all the points, right? He wants to distribute the ball. And the way, what I mean by that is he is so focused on moving the instrument forward and trying new things. He is completely comfortable in his skin and actually more excited to play a riff like nobody. And that's all it is. <laughs> and he's so caught up in arrangements and doing, creating this sort of um, soundscape that could have guitar or could have flute or could have a Beach Boys sort of thing, or it could have this or that. And he's more focused on that than the scoreboard of guitar playing. Mm. That's why I'm so proud of him because he he doesn't live in that world where he cares about that. He lives in the world of, I want to be the Beatles. Mm -hmm. I want to be Bowie. I don't want to be a, a shredder, right? I don't care about that. Yeah, I can shred, but, and I'm going to learn all my techniques and do Django and then practice all day, but I could be practicing guitar. I'm practicing piano because I want to do this myself. You know, so... I have so much respect for that because he doesn't care about any of that stuff. He cares about those artists that I just mentioned that inspired him. He wants to know why they arrange things like that. He wants to songwrite. He wants to create, right? And so I think that's cool. No, and, and Bowie's a perfect example. I should have mentioned that earlier of, of just somebody who was never afraid to change his sound, but still always contained the Bowie philosophy. But let's talk about uh, the final four. We mentioned Life has been a Dream, but prior to that, this kind of almost... Uh, it's not an Abbey Road medley, but it's, 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 you were mentioning that, you know, we're so used to hearing you know, these epic songs at the end of Avenged Records, Save Me, and, uh, you know, Little Piece of Heaven and all this sort of stuff. You went the opposite on this, and there's four shorter pieces, and they're all completely opposite from the other as far as sound. Yeah. So that's going to be where everybody goes like oh this record's crazy and then they hear that and they're gonna go okay <laughs> they've lost their minds right um because at some point i think it's around easier you're like okay this is going off somewhere and then like by the time you get to god and then life is but a dream you're like wait so they're never going to go back to that thing that they do you know like, <laughs> that's right yeah so abbey road's a great example i think um you know we are very much influenced by travis scott with sicko mode where there's like three songs in one but we want to do it in our own way, right? Like we thought he does three hip hop songs that are vastly different, but we wanted to do three full on 
vibe changes. And, and I think the nut that we cracked on this record or the kind of thing we figured out is like, it's okay to try really crazy things, but you don't want them to overstay their welcome mm-hmm. sometimes, right? Like it becomes novelty. If D was like seven minutes long, I think it would become a novelty. I think even like, oh, if you do that for too long. And so what we did was we really tried to like, the editing for us was like, okay, no more than two choruses for these little snippets. Let's call them like pieces of candy. Like it's like ear candy. Mm. Like we're going to grab them. We're going to stick them together in really creative ways, but we're going to keep you jumping around, but we're never going to settle for too long. And that was kind of like our aha moment of like, we we think Kanye did that really well with, um, he did a, a really religious record when he went all Jesus. Um, I forget what it's called, but the, the songs were like two minutes and everyone was like, oh, they feel unfinished. Mm. And I was like, I kind of like that. I kind of like that unfinished feel where you kind of put things together. As long as you can like create the greater whole makes sense. Um, so those three songs or four songs, to me, that approach where it was something completely different than we'd ever done. Because as you know, we'll, we've been known to go do an 11 minute ending or a 15 minute ending <laughs> or like really dig our heels in on seven minutes of a certain idea. And we really wanted to try, well, what if we have, seven crazy ideas, but we make them all in two minutes. Yeah. And so it's just a different approach, right? Like looking at everything that you do and not really settling on any sort of rules and just saying, well, let's try this and see what happens. I love it. It's a, like a Zappa song and then a Daft Punk song and then a Sinatra song. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's left field, man. When I tell people that's like kind of like, I'm like, oh, it's kind of like Romstein meets Diane Ward meets Daft Punk meets... Kanye meets and they're just like, what? <laughs> no. And I'm like, then they hear it and they're like, oh, you were right. That's uh, kind of crazy. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. How are you feeling about getting back on the road and getting back on tour? You obviously announced some huge dates. Uh, you got the tour with Falling in Reverse. Have you, have you done, you know, 90 minutes of singing yet uh, in rehearsals or anything along those lines? Well, we have been a little bit. I've been doing hours of singing by myself, but as you know, that's different. And plus, you got to you got to be a front man too, which is a whole different world as well. I know, I know. Yeah, if I could sit in my shower and sing the set, we'd be golden. <laughs> but um, you know, so we're we're actually getting into it more this week. Start tomorrow a little bit more. Um, we got like three more weeks of like rehearsals every day, and then we've got a couple things. We got those festivals, but then again, it's like a one-off. And then we've got like a couple of weeks, then we got a one-off and then we got a couple of weeks and a one-off. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of time to kind of really, if the first couple shows aren't great, which there's potential to that we've haven't played in years and you and I both know there's no replicating walking out there. Yeah. I'm just not worried about it. Right. Cause if it, if it, if it doesn't go well, I know we have time to kind of come back to the drawing board and, and work on things. So the shows, these initial shows are just going to be kind of getting our feet, getting the toes wet. Hey, let's talk with somebody speaking of the, of the festivals coming up. And I don't know the whole story. I wanted to ask you about it. You guys are playing Welcome to Rockville and another festival. And there was a message that went out a month ago or whatever of of you saying that you couldn't make the shows. And we found out that it was not you. It was AI. Is this, tell me the story of this. Yeah. 
So I have a choice to make right now. Do I do I fess up to this or do oh. we uh, just complain <laughs> enough? Uh, okay, so no, no, it's good. So what we did was a um, we did an ARG for the fans building up to the single release. And ARG for people that don't know is an augmented reality game. What the overall arcing point was, we had ChatGPT four. Dolly 2 and some other AI voice systems that basically were able to fool the fans into thinking it was us. <laughs> we programmed AI to have me cancel the show on our podcast, which if you listen back, you can tell it wasn't really me, but it was my voice. Then we had this website that people found and it was all chat GPT written of like reviews of us and how they're mad at us and yada, yada, yada. But it was actually this rabbit hole that people fell down and they started finding clues, which unlocked eventually after two weeks unlocked the single. The overarching thing here though, was that AI is coming. You're not going to know the difference as it gets better. And so we need to start figuring out what the game plan is, right? Like what is real? If I can see a, a video of you canceling shows or telling someone to F off or this or that, but it's not even really you. Mm-hmm. And at what point do we, you know, have to kind of come to terms with what the future is going to look like it's kind of like just like any other technological advancements. It's one of those things where once the cat's out of the bag, you can't do much about it. I mean, just look back at Napster, right? Mm-hmm. You got to adapt. That's right. Yeah. The world changes. And so my feeling is that AI will make music. It will be able to do things that are interesting. And the people that are anti it, that's okay. But the people that are really going to flourish in this new age are going to be the people that know how to use it correctly, prompt it correctly, and actually use it to their advantage. And I think that could have anything to do with writing essays, writing books, writing code, writing music, having AI help you show you five chord changes you may have never thought of, right? And then taking that and, and, and utilizing it in some way, or give me seven vocal melodies over these chord changes, and then taking things you like. And I think it's, I think a very interesting world is going to emerge from this. I just am very interested to see where it goes. But this sort of ARG was just kind of the set the bar of like, it tricked you all. You all thought that was real. You were all mad. You're all freaking out. (laughs) And all we had to do was prompt this thing to say one thing. And anyone could have done that, right? Like anyone could have hacked our Instagram Mm -hmm. or our podcast and done the same thing. And what's real and what's not. It's so crazy because you start hearing about this. It's like, this is total Skynet shit, man. It's going to be Terminator 2 before we know it. (laughs) <laughs> well, there's a lot of things, right? Like, cause then it, then it comes down to, well, does it have consciousness, right? At what point does it start trying to figure out things without being prompted? Right. And at what point does it, if this happens, what point does it have its own needs and does it suffer? There's a lot of merging right now. There's a convergence on a lot of things. And I think it will come down to if we figure out what human consciousness is, if we figure out the sweet sauce, right? What, what is it that exactly makes consciousness? Can we replicate that? And are we already replicating it without even knowing it? And that those are even deeper things on top of the, how do humans react to just straight up AI doing everything? Yeah. A lot of, la- a lot of layers there. You know, like you said, it, it's, it wants the cats out of the bag. Now we have to figure out how to drive it. Yes. Because you're, you're seeing real quick, you're seeing um, people call for a stop to it. And it's like, well, never once in human history, especially recent history, has something been invented or has something started and we just said, oh, yeah, that, that sounds like a bad idea and we just squashed it. No, we just, yeah. they're going to be in some island in the Cayman Islands building it or they'll be doing it somewhere where there's no law because they get paid off and it's like, it's coming. So what are we going to do about it? Last few things. You guys are really involved in NFTs. 
I've been involved in as well. I'm getting ready to release a graphic novel as an NFT for one of my characters. Another thing that a lot of people don't understand, but those that do understand it live and die by NFTs. And I think probably in five years, max, NFTs will have taken over streaming and, or, and, and music and all that sort of stuff. So it's good to kind of get involved in it now. What prompted you to, to want to base so much of Avenged Sevenfold's present and future into the NFT world? Well, I see a much cohesive and organized relationship between the fans and the, and the band. I also see when technology is happening and it's emerging, you want artists involved because when artists are involved, they're going to make it better for other artists down the line. If you let VCs and you let, you know, all these sort of bigger players dictate where the technology goes and what becomes the standard, then I think you get the kind of world we have right now with the way, you know, record deals are with, or, or you get like streaming now that is, cut off a portion of their stock to the labels and return for the catalogs, but we don't really see any of that money, but we still have our old contract. You get a lot of convolution, right? Mm -hmm. For me with, with NFTs, what's very important for people to understand is that I'm a believer in the blockchain technology. And what that means is that when you are distributing data, it could be a picture, it could be a comic, it could be your deed to your house, it could be a bus ticket, it could be a concert ticket, it could be a proof of attendance. That is called an NFT because it's a non-fungible token. All NFTs are not created equal. There's going to be a lot of crap, there's going to be a lot of junk. There is a mini casino that goes on right now with people just trying to flip NFTs. It's almost like trying to flip concert tickets, but there's no artist to actually play the show ever. That's what NFTs are right now. And people hear that and they, and they think it's all trash. What they don't understand is there's an underlying technology that can be used in a, a ton of different ways, whether it's finance, which is decentralized finance, or whether it's how you deal with your bank or whether how it's how we do fan clubs. We've chosen the fan club route where we can allow our biggest fans to get tickets first with integration through Ticketmaster, um, where we throw parties, where we allow, we do giveaways and it's all done on the blockchain in a way that we don't need to have 50 different companies mm -hmm. dealing with this for us. It's all done in one sort of centralized location. Now, centralization and decentralization seem like they're at odds there, but there are centralized ways to use NFTs and there's decentralized ways to use NFTs. And I think they're both fascinating. I think what's been good about AI actually is that AI has kind of taken the attention off of NFTs for a little <laughs> bit and everyone's over dealing with the AI thing, how we're, we hate AI and AI needs to be stopped, blah, blah, blah. And so it allows people like us over here to kind of build out use cases and what the blockchain is going to look like, you know, in five, 10 years or whatever that means. If this is just something that it makes people mad, but I just think about people when streaming came out. I'll never do that. You know, I always want to support the artists. I want to buy this. I want to buy that. Uh, yeah, right. Like, where'd that happen? Where'd that happen? <laughs> and, then, and, you know, and then I look at like my mom and, you know, she doesn't want to upgrade to the new phone because she likes the old one that she's got. And even though it could help her immensely if she just took a minute to figure it out, what I kind of talk about it as is it's kind of like being pissed off that your neighbor is getting food delivered to their house, but you won't download Postmates. <laughs> You're like, I'm not doing it. The tech is crap, but why the hell do those people have, you know, food being delivered to their house? And it's like, well, if you give me five minutes, you know, credit card on the, I, you know, like <laughs> these are all things that we will work through as a human race. And so I don't want to get stuck in the mud worrying about a bunch of people shooting arrows in my back because we're doing blockchain stuff. When I can see that this is going to be 
a kind of a pathway, I feel, to a better future for not only the artist, but the fan. Absolutely, man. If I would have told you, you know, if you gave me your City of Evil CD in 2005, and I would have said, hey, Matt, 10 years from now, these things are going to be completely obsolete. And here's my DVD, obsolete, obsolete. You'd be going, Jericho's crazy. Things are all going to be on your phone. He's nuts. That's what the people are saying now about NFTs. Wait another five years if it takes that long. And it's just going to be another thing that we all live with and, and, and do commerce with every single day. I agree. And, and yeah, and it's, and it's kind of like me saying, I don't care if it changes. I'm still going to buy your DVD. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, no, you're not. Cause you're not going to have anywhere to play it. <laughs> you know, like it's the world changes. Someone sent me a Blu-ray the other day. I was like, what am I supposed to do with this? I don't even have a Blu-ray player. I know. Right. I got it. Like, where do you even buy that stuff now? You go to Best Buy. It's like a, it's like a nostalgia thing. Crazy. But I mean, another thing is like, for, like, you know, people are always like, well, I don't understand how it works. It's like, I have, a Wayne Gretzky rookie card that I bought in 1979 when I was eight years old. I had this thing for 30 years. Now I can't fucking find the thing. Whatever it's worth, it doesn't matter. It is a mint Wayne Gretzky rookie card, and I don't know where it is. No. If it was five years from now, your Gretzky rookie card as an NFT in the blockchain, you could never lose it. It's still worth it. It's still your card. You know, you want to print it out and put it on your wall, you can, or you want to have it in your blockchain. You will never lose things like that ever again. Yeah, but it's, and it's also, but that's a leap, right? Like it's a leap that our kids will understand and my kids understand. And, and the best way to, the best example of that is video games. Because in video games, say that you can't all buy the same skin. There's only a thousand of them. And when you're in Fortnite, you're, you have a certain gun, you have a certain look, but the only way to get it is to buy it off someone else because it's authenticated on the blockchain. It's a, there's, there's a scarcity to it. The same way a Wayne Gretzky card on the blockchain, if there's five of them, you know which ones are real. Now, yeah, people of the older generation that don't get it go like, well, I'll just right click and save that. Goes, well, I can also take a picture of the Mona Lisa, put it in my house. Doesn't mean it's the Mona Lisa. <laughs> it's a jump, right? There's a jump there with technology. And you got to think most of these people, including us, we didn't grow up with the internet. It did not exist. The internet's a new thing. And so digital ownership is a new concept to people our age and older. Mm-hmm. As you think about, you know, the younger generation, it is not a, a new concept. They are growing up in a world where everything's digital. And so NFTs are going to be much more easily explained and, uh, and they'll go over a lot differently with people like my kids who have a MetaMask wallet. They collect things. They know what it means. They buy skins in Fortnite. They would much rather own them, right? And so when you see Web3 gaming come out and when you see these all these sorts of things, all NFTs are not created equal. They're all different things. They're all for everything, anything in life. It could be anything, right? It doesn't need to be the one thing you don't understand, which is baseball cards or hockey cards or paintings, right? It can be other things in your life that you're just going to need them for. Last couple of things, man. Are you excited to get back out on the road? You've got some big shows, Madison Square Garden. I don't know if you guys have ever played that before because you, you mentioned you've been home with your family. You guys are traveling a lot with the kids and I see that. How do you feel about getting back on the road again? I'm excited to see how it goes. I'm really happy with the headspace everyone's in. I'm 50-50 excited about it for me, but I'm also maybe even more excited about it for the fans. Mm. I went to a couple shows that I really enjoyed um, in the last few years, and I realized instead of being completely jaded about shows because we all play so many of them, it, it dawned on me how much of a celebration shows were and how it wasn't even really about the show. It was about being around people that understood that particular artist, right? Mm-hmm. Like when you walk around in everyday life, you don't see a bunch of long hair metalheads, or you don't see a bunch of people that are into, you know, X, Y, and Z, whatever the artist is. 
you go to those shows and it's like, everybody's your people. Yeah. And it's like one of those things where my mind kind of changed from, Oh, I'm here to see this to I'm here to enjoy the experience. And I think it will be a really fun experience for our fans, especially after being away for so long. I'm excited about that. The community. Yeah. It's one of those things. Like as soon as I heard game over the first, like I missed Avenged Sevenfold, like take the personal friendship that we have. As you know, I started as a fan of your band before we met. It's like, I missed these guys. It's like, you know, when you hear a new maiden or a new metallic, it's like, it's, it's like old friends yeah. back together again. You know, I'm excited about that. hundred percent. I get that same feeling too, where you just, you don't think about something for a long time because it's not front and center, especially the way the world works. Very time economy, mm -hmm. stressful, you know, lots of input, you know, Netflix now and TikTok and every single thing you can think of is just hammering you for your attention. So you don't necessarily sit there and think of the bands that aren't hammering you with attention. And so it is interesting to kind of come out and we're going to have a whole new record and, and it's going to be a little bit of our time now, like our time to annoy you with, <laughs> you know, Hey, give us some attention. You know, <laughs> you know it's, what it is. It's, it's always hard to say, but what is your, what's your favorite song on life is but a dream today? Today it's, um, cosmic. Mm. I really enjoy cosmic because it reminds me of like old Elton John, but with a very modern twist with the vocoder and the places it takes you. And I, it's one of Brian's, one of my favorite solos that Brian did. It's ultra melodic, but it reminds me kind of, um, do you know, for a friend, the way that it's put together with lots of musical interludes and it's very raw. So right now that song to me is kind of this thing that may get overlooked at first, but I think it will add a lot of gravity and depth to the record. We love you is my favorite. That's the one for me for right now. Yeah. We love you. The day, the day that it was put together and we were all done with it. I was like, Okay, this is officially not a song. This is like I don't. It's like we went as many left, yeah, it's like as many left turns as we could, and like we just stuck it together. And like, okay, that just feels cool. Yeah. Last question for you: What do you think of? What did you think of the uh, Halloween self-titled reunion of Kiski and Andy Darris? What did you think of it? I thought it sounded incredible. Yeah. I thought, what a cool way to do it, right? Like, yeah, keep everyone. It's cool, man. It's legendary, you know. And and I think as being Halloween super fans, we. We probably appreciate it, I mean, especially being American, right? Like they're not as big over here, but it's like, what a cool thing to do and respectful. And it just seems like the right move. And it, and everyone sounds awesome. It works so well. I love Skyfall. They actually had all three guys singing. Skyfall sick. And it works. It's like, oh, it's such genius. Another reason why Halloween's still one of the all-time best. They actually use three singers and it, it blends. I actually think it keeps my attention more because there's three singers. Mm -hmm. You keep like going like, okay, well, it's like a new color. Right. Every time yeah, something yeah, yeah, like yeah. That, I think it's an interesting thing. Um, it's interesting also something that we could take, right? As people who write in our own bands, like mm -hmm. using the color of our own voices, constantly changing in a song. It's like a keeps your attention and it's kind of a cool, cool thing. So I mean, they did it the OG way by having actual different singers, but yeah. you know, it's it's something like those are little notes I think of, you know, like that was cool. Like, how could we do something like that, you know? Well, dude, it's been great talking to you, man. And I'm uh, excited about this new record and I'm excited to see you again down the road soon, very soon. Yep. Congratulations on what I think, like I said, is a masterpiece record for Avenged Sevenfold. Thank you so much, man. Have a great show tonight. And I'm, I'm sure we'll see each other a lot soon. Yeah, absolutely, man. We can, uh, we have to rub our Halloween tattoos together. That's right. <laughs> they glow. Yeah, yeah. All right, dude. Thanks, man. Perfect, man. Thank you.